the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 219 on 921 2009 Greetings folks so John that's uh, a couple of a bunch of nines a bunch of twos a couple of zeros and a one thrown in for good measure all mixed up to form this week's Mac Geekab. I'm Dave Hamilton. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, there was a bunch of weird things. There was 999 that happened uh, kind of recently. So yeah, yeah, some right. people get excited about that. Yeah, fun with numbers. Uh, but that's not where uh, that's not where we're going with tonight's we're not show. Having fun with numbers. It, well, we don't know actually. You know, we've got this agenda here, but that's it's so loosely indicative of what it is we're actually going to wind up talking about. But uh, but it often gives us a start. In fact, maybe we should just dive right into the agenda with uh, with, with some cool stuff that uh, you folks found. And John, you found some cool stuff, and then I found a tip of sorts. Yeah, we all found cool stuff. The only thing I'll say in, re- in regard to numbers is somebody's going to have a number that's going to increase by one this week. That's all I'm going to say, Dave. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about. <laughs> Can we leave that? it as an exercise for the listener? Pregnant pause. That's right. Uh, uh, more fun with numbers, uh, although it's not that much fun and really not related to numbers. But tomorrow... Uh, September 22nd, and I believe at 5.18 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we officially shift over from summer to fall. All right. Well, it's nothing. Okay. It's no, <laughs> nothing. Yeah, like my, heat, my, my heat's, heat's about to go on. So, uh, yeah, I've got yeah. the heat on in the studio tonight. It's uh, it's that strange season where. Oh, you know, it's and a couple of the TMO staff, I believe, got snowed on today. Mm-hmm. That's right. Colorado in, got in hit. Colorado. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, with some cool stuff found, Arun writes in and says, holding down the option key whilst the Apple menu is open will change the about this Mac to system profiler and remove the ellipses from sleep, restart and shutdown options, as well as logout, uh, meaning you don't get a confirmation dialogue if you click on them. So this will work both in Leopard and Snow Leopard and probably um, even Tiger but we don't have a tiger machine to test it on here. But if you open up the Apple menu, hold down the option key, it will shift uh, all four of those, all five of those things, system profiler, sleep, shutdown, restart and logout, uh, which can be handy for launching system profiler. And though apparently it's been around for a long time, I'd never seen this, John. So had you, did you know about this when, uh, when Arun wrote in about it? No, I, I try to, you know, spend time just, you know, hitting all the keys on all the menus to see what happens. But uh, I missed that one. I know. I, I'm I, Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised neither one of us caught it because that is the kind of thing that, that we would just try for no good reason. But uh, but well, any of it. Another one. You, you got another one. Go ahead. Yep. And this is uh, thanks to Kelly, who is a, a listener and uh, and actually asked this uh, on Twitter. But she sent out just a, a, a question saying, what's this thing in the upper right hand corner of the finder window and, and how do I get to it? Um and I was wondering that myself because I really don't use it too much. It's it's still candy like like the other buttons, but it's clear and it's uh, more oval than circular. More like a chiclet than a droplet. Yes, <laughs> but still shiny and candy like. Um, but but apparently, at least in the Finder, um, that is called the Show Hide Toolbar button. And uh, what it hides, which is kind of weird, it hides what you could call the toolbar in a Finder window, which is some of these you know, extra things that are not in the top menu bar, but are within the window itself. Um, but Dave, you also notice, and I notice this too, and this is kind of weird, it also gets rid of, uh, well, what do you call it? The sidebar. I call the it the sidebar. Side which, which is usually on the far left and shows you know, volumes, network connections, various important folders, search results uh, you can put a whole boatload of things there this oh. is this is one of those cases where apple breaks away from its own human interface guidelines because in every other app that follows hig uh you will find that that little chiclet thing uh only removes the toolbar and any sidebars that exist do not go away yeah. uh when you when you hit that but the finder apparently somebody decided oh well we gotta just lump that sucker right in there so that's what they did yep. And then I noticed too, and then and then uh, and then uh, she had replied, "Oh, well, you know, it does something else in other apps." And I'm like, "Really?" And what it does is apparently this is built into the edit menu on pretty much any app, 
where you edit things. But okay, uh, so, special- so now instead of talking about the chiclet, now you're talking about the key keyboard shortcut that does the same thing, which is command option T, correct? That is correct. Okay. okay. So it's kind of funny that there was an overlap. Well, not really, but but it's just the same key sequence. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. But it brings up something that uh, to me is reminiscent of a uh, pop char, pop chair, care, whatever you, care. you pronounce yeah. it. I say char. That's kind of programmer. All right. Yeah. But anyways, um, it brings up a menu where it shows you pretty much all the special characters, math, arrows, parens, currency, uh, blah, 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 uh, which you can then insert uh, Braille. Oh, gosh, look at this. Uh, Greek. So all sorts of great uh, fun stuff here that you can paste into your apps if you don't know how to type it, which is usually uh, uh, a pain in the neck. <laughs> all right. Uh, another cool stuff found, uh, another cool thing found, uh, Guy emailed me and was asking me, now that I'm in Snow Leopard, what am I using for multiple clipboards? And I had not found anything with which I was happy yet. Uh, I was a PTH pasteboard user, and then that's changed in Snow Leopard pretty fundamentally. And so I kind of refreshed and started a search but guy found a thing called jump cut which uh the most recent version came out in january of this year but it works fine with snow leopard uh and and tends to work fairly well and it's it's actually free so uh i uh so that's what i've been messing with now but uh i i couldn't i can't imagine and i only started using multiple clipboards maybe two years ago probably even less and now i can't imagine living without it and and by multiple clipboards i mean a clipboard stack so that uh it, it's a clipboard with memory and i can jump back and and pick things from the stack at uh at will so it's very very handy so huh that's jump cut and we'll send uh we'll send a link out to that as it too. should be i think some apps i don't know if adobe or others some apps do that but yeah it's it's not common no, I think Apple needs to build some of that functionality into the system. Just a history, a clipboard history. It's really not that big of a deal. And, yeah, Unix, uh, Unix, and the you know, yeah, even MS DOS kind of have the same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. All right. So all right, you you have a, an eSATA thing, which will it was a very long tail that we're going to try and and compress down into the nugget of wisdom that we wish to share. Yes, and uh, so it's our buddy Duffy, and uh, he was trying to build a RAID array and. Uh, found something for his fairly new Mac uh, that, that will give you eSATA ports. eSATA are SATA ports that are designed for external drives. So I got this kit. It's basically a cable extender, and it extended the ports that are on the motherboard of his machine. But he was having a problem because he'd fire up the machine, and just like you know any other external drive, you, you know, he'd plug it in, and it would show up. And it's like, well, that's kind of weird. And then I read up a little bit, and I just happened across the line in the product description, um, though I'm sure I found it elsewhere, that said, by the way, these are not hot swappable, which basically means that um, he was doing it in the reverse order. What he should have done, and this this solved it, and actually I'm very surprised he didn't blow anything up, is to first turn on the drives. And, and if any of you have done work with SCSI or just other external arrays, sometimes you just got to do this. Um, though with things like USB and FireWire, you probably don't. Uh, I don't know. It, it, your mileage may vary. So that solved the problem. You fired up the drives beforehand, plugged them in, and uh, then turned on the machine and, and it saw them. So, Yeah, so this is in the Mac Pro. The, uh, the And I think it's a newer tech branded thing, which which comes now from other world computing. And and like you said, it just takes the eSATA port from the motherboard and essentially gives you... It's, it's an extender, right? I mean, that's all it does. And it... it plugs into one of the slot covers on the back of the machine but well, i think uh, it's a differently shaped so there is a technical difference between a sata port and e sata port because the e sata port i think is larger and keyed and stuff like that and i'm not okay sure why they're different okay but it did physically when i saw close-ups i i i don't know if i wonder if my g5 has this oh yeah you're right it does look a little bit different i'm looking at the uh the thing but but you're right it it the machine still treats it as an internal device. In fact, Duffy was even saying that you can't, uh, you don't get the little eject button like you do on FireWire or USB that are true external things. So uh, be very careful not to turn those off while the machine is on. Yeah. So to me, the takeaway is, you know, if you're going to do anything, make sure the devices are powered up first. Right. That's right. I guess in, yeah, 2020 hindsight, that's uh kind of, you know, blazingly obvious, but <laughs> yeah, but it's not obvious. And it, and it, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that's very easy to forget. So we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, so once I installed 10, six, one, John, 
my machine got a lot less stable. I started having uh, the machine. Really? The, the OS itself was fine, but I started getting all kinds of app crashes. Safari would crash regularly. Um, and these are, you know, built in apps to the OS. I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of crashy McCrash a lot with Safari as well. And yep. he brings along his buddy Flash usually. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I, I was having all kinds of problems with that and it was driving me crazy. And uh, and so I did a little bit of of maintenance last week, and I believe I've solved the problem. In fact, I know I've solved the problem, uh, and I believe I know what I did that solved it. I I I did two things, but I believe it's the first thing that that fixed it. I went and got a new version of Cocktail, um, which is a system maintenance utility like Onyx, which uh, which I tended to, which I'd gotten very attached to over the years, but at least at the time. And I don't think even now, I don't think Onyx has a snow leopard version cocktail did. I had a license for cocktail anyway, so it was no big deal. I went down and updated cocktail and I ran it and cleaned all of my caches. Um, not, not my, uh, my browser history or my cookies or anything like that, but, all my system caches and everything. And I let it totally wipe that out and then reboot the machine. And it's been fine since then. I also looked in the console log and saw it complaining a lot about a few of the things that, that are kind of held over in my slash library slash input managers folder. So I cleaned most of those out too, uh, and then rebooted and, and my machine has been very stable, but I don't think removing the input managers changed that. I think it was more the, um, the, the clearing of the caches that that fixed my issue. So if you're having those problems, John, try that out. Uh, try cleaning your, your caches with with cocktail or if Onyx is Snow Leopard compatible yet, uh, that would be also fine. I'm, I'm looking here. Yeah, there it is. They do. They've got a Snow Leopard beta that uh, just came out yesterday. So now you can you can try that out, too. So. Uh, anything else to add to that, John? No. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll go into our first sponsor for the show, which is Circus Ponies with Notebook version 3.0. You've heard us talk about this before. Notebook is an application that allows you to organize your thoughts on particular subjects uh, or projects that you're working on by creating either one or multiple electronic notebooks. You start out in hierarchical mode, uh, similar to you get a, a notebook page on your screen that actually looks a lot like a paper bound notebook and you start typing and you can tab in and kind of organize things in a hierarchy and then you can pull in other data you can pull in pictures uh, if you have a tablet you can draw you can pull in pdfs you can ocr those pdfs so that you actually get at the text that's inside them uh, or if the pdf already had text you can get to that you can ocr faxes or scans that you've pulled in uh, you can notate PDFs so that when you're in on that PDF, uh, if you want to put a, a little note in there and say, oh, yeah, this is, you know, this file or here's this user manual for this uh, piece of software that I'm using for this project I'm working on. And, and here's this one piece that I want to highlight. You can do that. And then you can take all of these notebooks and you can search things across them and you can search by Keyword by date entered by text that you typed pretty much any whatever it is you remember about what you're looking for. You type that in and it'll seek you right to it. And this is uh, all available at circusponies.com. It's forty nine ninety five for a standard license, twenty nine ninety five for an academic license. Ninety nine ninety five gets you a family pack, which gives you three user licenses. And uh, if you are a Notebook 2 user, and my guess is most of you have already upgraded by now, but if you haven't, it's only 25 bucks or twenty-four ninety-five. Um, of course, there's a free 30-day trial that you can get at CircusPonies.com. So go ahead and check it out. It's, uh, it's an app that's going to let you organize uh, various things that you've got, kind of disparate pieces of data that are otherwise by, unrelated by kind, but related by topic. And you can lump them together and, and pull them all together so that you can organize your, your thoughts and your life. Circus Ponies Notebook at CircusPonies.com. Should we go into Bill's sinking strategy here, John? I think it's... Yeah. We skipped this one last week because we, well, we frankly didn't have time. But, uh, but here, let me, uh, let me pull up you Bill. You can distill the essence of it. I'm going to try here. Okay. Bill writes, my question has to do with hooking up an iPhone for the first time to a new computer. My son-in-law has had an iPhone for over a year and has built up his contacts and calendar events. 
In addition, he's added apps from the App Store to his iPhone. He's connected to a separate account on an iMac he shares with our daughter and their two daughters. However, uh, however, he rarely actually uses the iMac. His use is pretty much confined to the iPhone. So for the purpose of my question, let's pretend he has no Mac and now plans to purchase a new MacBook. And he does. That's not the pretending part. Okay, so the idea is uh, he is concerned that he has all this data on his iPhone that he wants to migrate to a new Mac, but he doesn't uh, necessarily want to. Um, he doesn't want to use the migration assistant and I'm not quite sure why my, my first answer here, and I'm trying to look, this is a very long email that I, as John said, I'm trying to distill down. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and read it because I think we might be missing something here. So he says, I've done some Google searching and have come up with some advisories and recommendations since we know that when he hooks up his iPhone to the brand new Mac, iTunes is going to wipe out his contacts and calendar events. And I also assume any downloaded apps from the App Store free or purchased. Common suggestions for the first two seem to be to enter at least one contact in the contact database and one event in iCal. And that will cause iTunes to sync those. No. All right. We're going to we're going to skip all this. I know where we're going, John. All right. This is why we skipped and I it see last week. A small, uh, all right, and I see a small tangent. So, so I think what he's assuming is that something's going to happen when you hook up an existing iPhone or iPod to a brand new machine. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, what's going to happen is it's going to offer to sync that data in two ways. Now, I would still highly recommend using the migration assistant. Take the MacBook, put it over on this machine, and copy over the data that you care, care about. Uh, you could also do it manually by going into library contacts or home, rather home library contacts and uh, and home library calendars. Uh, and both of those it's not contracts. Sorry, it's home library calendars will get you your calendars home library I think it's application support address book has all your address book data. Yes. So you could manually do it there. You can do it with migration assistant. Uh, I see no reason not to, especially if you've got the iMac there. But for the for the sake of argument, if you've got this data out there, you can choose to sync it back with your Mac. Uh, and and it should not wipe this out. Now, it's always possible that it will. But. The first thing that happens when you sync your iPhone is it does a backup of the iPhone, and that will have all that data in it. Uh, it you also have all that data on the machine that you've synced from, which is or that you previously synced to, which is the one that, which is the old iMac. So I, I think you're fine, and you also uh, once you've authenticated iTunes, you'll have the option of copying apps back too. But that might wipe. You might be right on it wiping out apps. Um, the good news is, although it's a bit of a tedious process, you can re-download all the apps because once you've purchased it, the App Store remembers your purchases and will let you re-download even purchased apps for free. Yes. Yeah, I've done that even on my Touch sometimes or yep. if, if I'm using a different device on the same app. They're like, oh, I know about this one already. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's going to wipe out your apps or not. I, You know... I don't think it will. I think it'll I think it'll let you pull them back uh, because I've downloaded an app to my to my iPhone uh, directly from the store and then it syncs it back with my computer. And I, I would think that you're going to get the same thing if you start with a fresh version of iTunes as well. You got anything to add there, John? Um, I found an Apple support article maybe worth looking at as well, but it suggests that certain data can be synced in two directions. So uh, to me, that would imply that you're not automatically going to wipe things out. And, and uh, a link to it, it says contacts, calendars, notes, bookmarks are synced from or to your computer. Right. Um, but it says other things like email account settings, music, movies, TV shows, podcasts, and photos are synced one way from computer to device. Yeah. Th and that's right. Uh, the only thing that would be synced back is purchased uh, music or purchased movies. Those you can sync from the i. Uh, iPod or iPhone back to the Mac, but anything else you're right. You're going to lose. Now, again, the migration assistant would deal with this and I, I would recommend that as the first path. If you don't want to use that, there are apps out there that will let you uh, pull the, the music data off an iPod or, or an iPhone. 
the the most popular one and the one that I've had uh, success with is an app called Sanuti, S E N U T I, and that is iTunes spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is it does exactly what iTunes does, but backwards. It pulls the data from your iPod or iPhone back to your Mac, and uh, and I've had good I've had good luck with that. It pulls playlist data, it pulls, you know everything. It it's it rebuilds your iTunes library. So. So that that's yet another option that I would use. But but again, I, I, I don't see why the mic in this instance, I don't see why the migration assistant is being avoided. Uh, I think it is the easy answer here, uh, especially for this this type of data. But but as an exercise in assuming that we can't use the migration assistant, this is how you do it. So. Anything to add there, John? No. All right. We're going to move to Sebastian here and see what he has to say. Hello, John and Dave. I am a uh, listener of the Mac Observer. You guys have helped me in the past. I absolutely love what you do for the Mac community. But enough about me and enough about you. Here's my issue. Having problems, I have a, um, I'm trying to archive Final Cut Pro, Final Cut Studio Leopard, and some other dual layer um, discs that I have. I'd rather... Uh, obviously, like most people, have a backup kit screwed up in the original. So I bought a spindle of dual-layer DVD-R, and I'm having problems making backup copies of Leopard, Snow Leopard, and like I said, various other, um, I'm sorry for repeating the same thing, various other dual-layer discs that I have. And I was reaching out to you for some advice I have a G5 PowerPC and a early 2008 MacBook Pro. I have Toast, which I've been all over the internet. Basically, Toast does not properly support dual layer. Um, I have Toast 8, Toast 9, Toast 10. Um, appears to be an issue. I also I tried disk utility on the um, G5 as well as on the MacBook Pro. Nothing is working, but I do know if there's anyone who can help me, it's you two fair feathered friends. Okay, you can email me. Oh, we'll leave that. We'll cut him off there. Uh, do you have a short answer here, John? Because I think I have the short answer, and I've been through this before. Well, one, that's an older machine. I think he said a G5. Uh, yes. One thing is I, w- I would go to a system profiler and look in the disk burning category. And just see exactly what is uh, supported or what the drive thinks it supports. Um, I don't know if there's a firmware upgrade or something like that. So that's one thought. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a good thing because because newer drives will support different uh, different things, and and going to System Profiler will tell you exactly what kind of media. But uh, just to make sure, because I think there was a point where they would support the plus but not the minus and stuff. Now I'm not I'm not saying. Uh, well, I'm saying maybe he doesn't know off top of his head. No, he he must have tried this before. So yeah, yeah. So, so, but you know, double check it just to see what the drive thinks it uh, supports. Yeah. No, oh, I think that's a good idea. Um, but and and with dual layer discs, this is more important than it is with any other kind of media that I've used CDs or or regular DVDs. You have to use high quality media, uh, and sometimes that means paying three times as much per disc. Uh, but you know, buying those spindles, you can buy cheap spindles and you can buy expensive spindles. And the one thing I've learned about cheap spindles is they don't work. Uh, it's, it, and, and I, I, I looked when I, when I heard your message, uh, Sebastian, I, I did some searching cause I've used toast and the only problems I've had are with cheap media. The rest of it, it's totally reliable. And sure enough, uh, you know, most of the posts that I read, it sounded like the rest of the people out there were having the same issue it was, you know, look, if you get cheap media, you you that's it. Now you can get away with cheap media for regular CDs. You can get away with cheap media for regular DVDs. Uh, in my experience, dual layer discs, it, you know, you get what you pay for and you pay for what you get. So that's, uh, yeah. Or it could be, I've, I've heard of isolated cases where, you know, it's something, you know, either there's some gunk on the lens or uh, the laser is, uh, is starting to die. It yeah, could be that. I mean, absolutely. They're, they're, they're not impervious to, you know, damage. Right. I don't think I've ever had, uh, I think I've had ones that started getting picky. They, they would spit out the, the cheap stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know if <laughs> maybe I was reading too much into that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it could be. I'm, it could be. It could be. All right. Uh, Mark writes. Uh, oh, I'm, I've got the and I've got the wrong Mark right up in front of me. Oh, oh that's not good. Wait a minute. Did I not? Did I not sync this up? Did you get Mark's email there, John? Because yeah. I don't. I'm not finding it out in my uh, in my um, my Yojimbo here, which is odd. Yeah. But I, I've got it. I, I pulled up the PDF here. All right. Okay. So Mark writes. Uh, I'm hoping you can help me with an issue I'm having since upgrading to Snow Leopard. Any new photos I take and add to my iPhoto library do not show up in iTunes under the photos syncing section in my iPhone. The last photos that are visible in iTunes are from the 25th of August, which is the last sync prior to installing iPhoto. I have a feeling it is to do with my permissions as I did a clean install and copied my library from a cloned copy of my hard drive. I'm also having problems when rotating photos in iPhoto as they rotate for a second. Then they rotate back, but get stretched in the process, which makes me think it has to do with permissions. Uh, please help. Mark from Edinburgh. All right. Uh it could be a lot of things, but uh, it sounds like it could be a permissions problem. So I would first try using disk utility to repair the permissions. It should go ahead and and do that. Uh, have you ever experienced anything like this with an iPhoto library, John? No, I'm I'm trying to find something. I'm going to iPhoto right now. Okay. But just a suggestion for uh, probably a better way to do this. Or actually, no, I want to get the letter up here and see what he was doing. Was he... <sighs> copied my library from a clone copy. That concerns me that he's implying a library was copied. Yeah, well, yeah. like a library file instead of dragging the pictures. Um, now you can copy uh, iPhoto libraries around. I, this I've done before. Uh, sorry, because I I see there's an import command, which may be another way to go about this that I think would uh, probably get around some permission issues. Yeah, I, in the he, file menu. Just just saying. Yeah, I, well, I mean, if he goes to home pictures, uh, there should be an iPhoto library right there. And if you click on it and hmm. and then do a file and get info, you should see uh, permissions down at the bottom. If you twist open the sharing and permissions triangle, you should see uh, that your user has read and write access. And if it doesn't, well, click on the little lock, authenticate yourself and change it so that your user does. That would uh, that okay. would be the, the first step. iPhoto library. Okay, I have a folder here, as it turns out. You have a folder called iPhoto library? Uh, yeah, well, that's because I'm running an older version on the oh, okay. G5. Okay. okay. Actually, yeah, you're, you're correct. No, it is a file. Okay, that's, that's why I got confused, because I was seeing a folder. But still, there is an import command. Or actually, a lot of times, you just take the pictures and drag them on top of the icon in the dock, and it doesn't import. Yeah, well, he. I, I think. I think based on his email, he's seeing the pictures in iPhoto. He's just not seeing them in iTunes, which is trying to link uh, it to his iPhone. So okay. that that tells me if it were just that, I would think perhaps it's this iLife Media Browser issue, which it might still be. But but his inability to to rotate kind of indicates that uh, maybe these pictures can't be can't be changed. Um, so you know, there, there's the. The Mac OS has uh, kind of behind the scenes what it calls its iPhoto or iLife media browser, which lets all of the different iLife apps see the data from the others. So that when you're in iMovie, you can see your songs from iTunes and your pictures from uh, iPhoto and pull them all together and, and sort of vice versa. So uh, there is there's a couple of things. First, there's a knowledge base article that talks about how to fix media browser issues. So if changing the permissions doesn't work, try this and we'll put the it's knowledge base article TS one one nine two. But we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, the second thing to try is reapplying the latest iLife media browser update, which we'll also put in the show notes. And then lastly, uh, you can try deleting the com.apple.ilifemediabrowser.plist file, which is in your home library preferences folder. And hopefully before you get to that step, your problem will be solved. So that's uh, wow. That's interesting. 
Yeah, but I, I bet I bet you're right. I bet it's a permissions thing and either running a permissions repair or simply going and changing the permissions on that file uh, should do it. Um, uh, that would that would work for me. All right. You want to talk about uh, John's ground hum here, John, or the, the okay. hum that, that we believe is a ground hum? All right. Let me uh, let me see. If oh, I we have... oh, OK. We agree on this. That's... Yes, that's right. Oh, it's good. Uh, John writes. A friend has a G5 tower, a new Mac Pro, a MacBook Pro, and a killer classic stereo system. As of a month ago, he could plug in either the G5 or the MacBook Pro to the stereo via a mini jack and get great sound from iTunes. Then something changed, and suddenly the G5 started generating an overpowering bass hum, but the MacBook Pro continues to work fine. The new Mac Pro also generates the same hum. I suspect it has something to do with the 60 hertz ground loop, but I don't know enough about this topic to give the friend a recommendation. Computers and stereo are plugged into the same circuit via grounded outlets. Three, three questions. What could have caused what could have changed to cause the G5 to start to hum after years of working? Why does the MacBook Pro continue to work fine? And number three, what's the best way to eliminate the hum in this situation? All right, well. Uh, I'm, I'm going to I think you and I, as we said, John, are in agreement with uh, with John here who wrote in that this low end uh, hum is a is a ground hum. Uh, 60 hertz is the frequency at which our electrical system in this com- country uh, oscillates. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, 60 hertz is pretty low. Uh, it's um, not quite, you know, the thump you'll feel in your chest, but. But uh, above that a little bit, but still a, a pretty low sound. So it is going to it is going to we've all heard it. You know, if you pick up a, a phone that's not grounded mm. quite right or whatever, you, you get that, you know, kind of thing going on. Now, now, he, number, question number one, he asked, what could have changed? Well, I'm reading the first sentence of his email. My friend has a G5 tower, a new Mac Pro, a MacBook Pro and a stereo system. Do you think you know what changed, John? I think it's the Mac Pro. He says it's a new Mac Pro. And he talks about how previously the G5 and the MacBook Pro would be happy and now they're not. Uh, I think it's the MacBook I think it's the Mac Pro that that has introduced this into the system. And it stands to reason it's, you know, there's probably something out there that's uh that's that it that it's simply not happy about. Uh so I, the first thing I would do is try and isolate the Mac Pro on its own circuit or at the very least shut it down and unplug it and see if the problem goes away. Once, once you've isolated where the issue is, then you can start to kind of look and say, okay, you know, what, what should we do and how do we, uh, how do we, how do we make it happy? And it could be a, you know, a peripheral that's plugged into it. That's causing this. It could be the Mac pro itself. Uh, hard to say. Any thoughts on that, John? (sighs) See, because the MacBook Pro, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm just uh, trying to think around cables and seeing if that makes sense. I'm thinking some more. All right, because the the MacBook Pro is not, uh, the the charger is grounded, but I don't believe the MacBook Pro itself is grounded, right? It's isolated from ground uh, by way of the charger. The charger gets the ground and then just sends signal. There's a a transformer in there in the charger that, that... that sends uh, power to the MacBook Pro, but does not ground it. So that would explain why uh, if there is some sort of ground disturbance happening, the MacBook Pro would not be affected by it and you would not hear the hum from uh, from it. But the G5 is plugged directly into ground. And so the audio circuitry is is uh, is getting that same hum. So I. I, you know, I isolate that stuff off and you may, you know, with the Mac, with the Mac Pro, you may have added a peripheral. But, you know, the first thing to do, get the Mac Pro off the circuit. Try it out. Is it working? Yes. OK, now start to introduce it, but don't put peripherals on it yet. You know, and one thing at a time and see if you can if you can find out where it is. And then and then you've just got to isolate that piece off. You, you know, you can't have it on the same ground loop. Can't have it plugged into the same power strip. You know, that uh, that'll do it. Yeah, and I'm thinking sometimes these problems can involve, I mean, it could be a power cord, it could be an audio cord, um, 
Chances are it's not the it's not the audio cord, right? Because if it's plugged into the MacBook Pro, right, it works okay. So no, it's not that. uh, But you're right; it could be a power cord. Yeah, absolutely, could be a power cord. Yeah, and they got those you know things that check your ground. You may just want to make sure your ground's okay. It may be good enough, you know, running uh, as you said, because the the nature of the ground on the MacBook is a a little different, right? Um, Right. Versus going to the case of the machine, so. Or at least it's, you know, a direct power supply versus a, uh, yeah, AC to DC converter. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, so or hopefully... chokes? Uh, nah, that's kind of reaching. Don't worry. Yeah, we'll link to what chokes are. Uh, chokes oh. always help to filter out our uh, yeah, uh, weird noises. That's not a bad idea. Actually, putting putting chokes on the, uh, on the, on the cable going to the speakers, uh, assuming the speakers themselves don't have a ground just from the system... Uh, then then that would be it. And you're talking about like ferrite uh, core chokes, right? That yeah, a lot about? of cables have them built in already, and uh, their purpose is just to, yeah, I guess, smooth things out or absorb nastiness. Yeah. So yeah. What, what we're talking about here is you, you'll see these on some cables where the cable is actually looped through uh, what looks like a little... Uh, it's you know thicker than a uh, than than what would I, I would call a donut, but a, a cylindrical core... And you run the cable through it once, pull it back through, and then run it through again. And uh, that is, uh, it's built out of uh, a magnetic uh, ore, I guess, out of, out of ferrite, right, typically. And, and usually that can help to dissipate some of that, uh, some of that hum. I've, I've used them in the car for, uh, for iPod adapters for exactly the same thing. If you've got power plugged into one side of the iPod and then you're plugging you know, a, a mini 8 jack from the other side in, you can definitely uh, sometimes get that that weird hum because everything's kind of out of phase and uh, not out of phase, but you get you get too much running through it and it tends to get mucked up and using that core to dissipate it tends to help. That's a good idea that, you know, it, it won't solve the problem. It won't tell you where the problem is, but it might address the symptom. And that may be all you care about. And that, frankly, may be all you're able to do anyway. Cool. All right. So uh, Mark writes in, and this is actually a, a, a question that he says was, well, he said directed it at John and Pete, but I think he meant me and Pete. Uh, and Pete's not here. Pete's in D.C. today, I think. I don't know where he is, actually. He's he's out flying around somewhere, you know. Oh, that's, I that's thought he was, he you know, hanging with Obama. <laughs> <laughs> he could be. I don't know. Who knows? Pete, Pete leads a uh, very interesting life. Uh, And he says, I was wondering if now after you've been using a Drobo for some time, what's your opinion on it? And if you're using the Drobo share that too, I'm thinking of getting one for the office of 10 network users running from an Intel X serve for purely time machine use. The Drobo will potentially sit in the same cabinet as the X serve and would not necessarily need the Drobo share. This may be a silly question, but if you take a drive out of the Drobo and that has not failed, can it be put in a drive caddy connected to another drive and accessed or will the beyond raid formatting on it? Stop this. Okay. Uh, so uh, answering the second question first, no, you can't take a drive out of the Drobo and access it any other way. Uh, it is Drobo only. Uh, the good news is you could take one drive out and put another drive in and your data will remain intact. Uh, going back to the first question, I, I love my Drobo. In your instance, I would not recommend the Drobo share. And that is for two reasons. One, you've already got the XServe sitting right there. There's no reason to use a Drobo share. And number two, network access to the Drobo is faster via uh, a Mac than it is going to be with the Drobo share. The Drobo share had some pretty significant limitations uh, just in its networking protocols. It had nothing to do with the interface on it or anything. It was just the uh, the networking of the thing. I think we we saw it max out. Uh, you know, I don't have the numbers right in front of me here, but it was maybe, you know, half. Let's see. Drobo share. I, I do have the numbers right in front of me. Drobo share was 13 megabytes a second. Firewire 800, 33 megabytes a second. And that's uh, going over the network. So you definitely uh no reason to use the Drobo share for, for what you're doing there, Mark. Uh, lastly, I love it. I, I think it's great. Um, it, you know, for what you're talking about doing, 
you know, some people think that having backups that are stored uh, redundantly with with RAID is a good thing. I think that's a little overkill uh, personally. But uh, but if you know, if your tolerance is such that you feel like you need a, a RAID array to which to send your backups, then the Drobo is an easy way to do that. And you can expand it uh, just by adding drives. But, uh, you know, for me, I don't use it for backups as much as I do archiving things where, you know, I'm going to store one copy of, of a piece of data and I want to, I want to be sure that it's, you know, fault tolerant. Uh, so, so that's what I use it for, mm. but yeah, I love it. Drives. I got a new drive. What'd you get? Um, so I was at a couple of shows and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but, um, but actually what I picked up because I saw it again and just the form factor I really liked, um, and, and it's not terribly expensive. So right now my uh, MacBook, uh, of course, uh, d- d- backs up on a time capsule, but I also want to have a portable external drive. And I have an older FireWire 400 drive that's only like 80 gigs, so it's not big enough. You know, it's still good right. for carrying files around, and it's an old case. I think I got it from OWC. You know, it's, it's transparent. You can see the drive. It looks kind of cool. But I saw this drive again, and, and so I decided to pick one of these up, an iOmega Ego triple interface. Yeah. Uh, half terabyte drive. And it was like a hundred something bucks. I mean, cool. You know, so, um, and supposedly I won't need a power cord. Uh, I have had external drives though. They're older units that, you know, required something. I think these guys include a magic cable that will give it enough juice if uh, your computer doesn't provide it. But I think these drives are, are pretty efficient. So, you know, 500 gigs. Um, and it also has, you know, an amazing, uh, they claim that you could drop it from a height of, uh, I forget what it is and you won't hurt things, but I'm not going <laughs> to explore that. Of course, shortly afterwards, I mentioned this, our, our friends at OWC said, dude, we got a f- quad interface drive. <laughs> I think they recently introduced the product, which uh, is an enclosure that has not only FireWire and USB, but also eSATA. Right. But it's more, I think for a desktop that I wanted something here, which is like shirt pocket, which this is. Right. So, um, right. So it's coming. Cool. Well, that's that's cool. So you're going to put a lot of sensitive data on it, remove it from everywhere else, and then you know throw the drive from the top of your house down to the sidewalk, right? Yeah. Good. Perfect. That's excellent. I'll give you a copy first, just in case. Uh, oh no, that'd be too much. Uh, come on, you know, it's so bad. You're ruining the fun of it all, right? <laughs> yeah. So what else we got here? We got um, uh, Mike. Yeah, we should we should talk about this TiVo thing because this this is definitely you know a Mac related uh, TiVo question. Uh, so go, what's it? It is. Okay. Uh, okay. Definitely. Definitely. Hi, John and Dave. It's Mike from Newburyport, Massachusetts. Thanks very much for doing the Mac Geek Gab. I listen to it every week, and it is wonderful. So my problem is I have a Series 3 TiVo DVR, and I regularly transfer things that I've recorded from the TiVo to my MacBook Pro. Uh, which is very slow, and I attribute that to the TiVo network adapter, uh, which I think is not particularly fast. So then once I get them over to my Mac, then what I need to do is I need to um, encode those in MPEG-4, which takes uh, about three hours for a two-hour soccer game, for instance. And then I transfer them over to my iDisk and share them so that my son who's going to college in Florida can download the games and watch them because he does not have cable at school. And that takes another three hours. So to watch a game that has two 45-minute halves, it takes nine hours to get it from point A, my TiVo, to point C, my iDisk. And I was wondering if there is any other way to do this uh, quicker. I uh, appreciate any help. This is where you cut me off. And consider yourself cut off. All right. Uh, so this is very much Mac related, right, John? So there, there's three bottlenecks. Parts of it. Yeah, there's three bottlenecks here, right? There's right. transferring from his TiVo to his Mac. There's Correct. the conversion on his Mac, Right. If you choose to do so, because you can take the file out of the TiVo and just play it, though it's monstrously huge. Right. So, he, yeah, you know, he needs to compress it. Otherwise, the upload would be, you know, yeah. monumental. Eternal. Yeah. Right. Eternal. Right. And then the third is transfer. Uploading. Right. To iDisk. So, um, 
you know, let's start with the beginning. And, and I, uh, if I could start off. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I suspected, so I thought, well, you know, to me, here's the obvious problem. If you look at what the TiVo is connected to, um, right now, TiVo officially supports 802.11G, which Correct. is 54 megabits in theory. Right. Um, but there's also a hardwired port, and I don't know if it's 100 or 1,000 base T. I'm going to guess it. it's at least 100. Okay, so I don't yeah. know because I've never used it. And actually, you know what I want to get someday is one of those power line adapters and hook it to the TiVo so I can get better throughput than the wireless adapter. Because oh, yeah. I suspect I'll get more, even if it's 100 base T. So 100 base T... 100 megabits versus 54 of the wireless adapter, unless uh, if the, 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 the power line thing can keep up with it. Yep. So that would be my recommendation. If, if, if you're at all doing something that takes a lot of time, like I don't do a lot of this. If I did, I think I would hardwire the TiVo. Um, so that's one bottleneck. Yeah. It, it can be. Well, uh, though, I think as you're going to suggest, the TiVo may not be network bound. No, I don't. Well, it's possible that in if his case, talk about choke, choke points. Well, he had a three, didn't he? I think series three yeah. is the first yeah. HD one, which is the one I have. And I think the one you have, right? Correct. Now the series three is the fastest TiVo that exists, uh, especially in terms of its ability to send data over the network. But the TiVo's processor is very slow compared to the computers that we all use. And, uh, Network traffic is not prioritized, especially outbound network traffic. So even on a, a hundred megabit network, you may not see, or even on a, a gigabit network, you may not see any noticeable speed improvement over, uh, over your Wi-Fi. However, uh, you know, if your if your Mac is on Wi-Fi and your TiVo's on Wi-Fi, then you've got Wi-Fi, you know, congestion stuff happening too. And, and so it, it might help, but don't expect that that is going to be a, a monumental huh. change. That, that, that I, surprises me I know. that it's that wimpy. Then again, I think there yep. is a special, what does the TiVo do? Video, duh. So I believe there is a pretty nice MPEG encoder decoder in there. That's which, right. That's right. Yeah, so I'm with you. They may have a, I don't know, 100 megahertz or, or maybe not that wimpy. Yeah, but, but as far as a, a, but I think it's some sort of Linux, uh, you yeah. know, probably low end processor, yeah. which to move the bits around to make the thing work right, is good enough. But yeah, not for, for yeah, that that's a good point. You know, I'd, I'd like to benchmark that sometime. Yeah, it's it, 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 will, it will bring a tear to your eye because it's slow. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, they had to focus on yeah, yeah. what's important, which is yeah. video. That's right, is, uh, networking. So uh, so try you know if you can certainly if you can hardwire into it, it's not going to be any slower, and it might in fact be faster uh, because I've gotten decent you know compared to other TiVos, I've gotten decent speeds out of the out of the Series Three. However, you know I'm looking at this and listening to his his message, thinking wow he's transferring the data and then he's converting the data. And then he's transferring the converted file. What if we can consolidate these things, right? If the TiVo transfers slowly, well, the computer's just sitting there essentially idling, waiting for that file to arrive. What if we could convert while we're transferring, right? Why not use the processor while it's coming in? And hey, could we take the file that we're generating and start uploading that right away? Right. Why wait until it's 100 percent complete to start sending it up? And no I think I have the answer. It's called iTivo uh, and it's at uh, itivo.sourceforge.net, I think is. Oh, no, it's at, it's one of those Google code projects now. So it's uh, code.google.com slash P slash iTivo. And of course, we'll put a link in the show notes. And it is built to do exactly what Mike is asking for here. So it will download from your TiVo and convert on the fly. And there's no reason that you couldn't have it saved to your iDisk or even a Dropbox, right? At which will, if you have it set to sync automatically, it's going to start syncing that file up to, to, to the cloud right away. Right. You, you don't have to wait, you know, as, as the file builds, it's going to build it and, 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 you know, hopefully do it in slices. But I don't I don't know. Maybe you do have to wait until it's completed. But but I would certainly try it and see what happens. 
in terms of sending it up to the cloud from there. And, and I just might not be the right answer. It might be uh, another thing to try would be Dropbox, which, you know, you can sign up for, for a two gig Dropbox for free just to give it a shot. Uh, but it will, ITVO will convert it into MPEG four for you. And it, they've even got presets for, you know, the, the iPhone and iPod and Apple TV. So whatever, you know, whatever you want to slurp it down to, uh, you can, you can do that. So that's, uh, that, that, that's the magic answer here, I think. And it, of course, the beautiful part is it's free and it works with Snow Leopard. I just tried it the other day. Yeah, it's a magic answer. I'm going to offer another alternative, yeah. which I've used in the past. When I've gotten, because yeah, when you, when you use something like, uh, so a couple of utilities, TiVo Decode Manager, I think yep. it is. Yep. Or de- yeah, I think that's what it's called. Because uh, some of the files have some annoying uh, DRM on them, so this gets rid of that. Um, and it downloads it pretty much, you know, I'm going to have to look at that. Because I do seem to remember the speeds were not the maximum speed of my wireless, but they were a bit slow. So back to your point. Yeah. Um, but anyways, there's something called FFmpeg uh-huh. X or 10, FFmpeg yeah. 10. I guess we'll say that. But it's a, it's basically a, a, a nice Mac front end to a bunch of Unix uh, converters. And what you can do a lot of times is take one of those large files. And a lot of times, if you either, it'll in uh, you know, Pretty much real time, I think it'll, you know, take as long. And I know he wants to avoid this, but sometimes it may solve another problem. And that if you want to downsample something, so it's not full HD, for example, right? You want to make it smaller resolution or less frames per second, or reduce the quality of the audio track. You may not need, you know, uh, the audio. I think is is often not <laughs> what you really care about in this case. It would be the video, but I've done this before. I've taken videos that have come out at hundred of megabytes, put it through FFmpeg ten. And once it's out of that, it, it's much smaller. It's still viewable. And if you're talking, you know, uh, you know, transfer times, uh, if you can reduce it by half or a quarter, which sometimes it does with this, um, that's another thing. But I, I definitely like, the, you know, of course, the, the parallel strategy, which is. Well, OK, you know, so it's important to note that Mike's already doing that. Now, I don't know what he's using, but but he's converting it down to MPEG four, which is not the MPEG two that it sits on the TiVo. So I, I, I had sort of assumed that Mike was already, you know, crunching it down. It's important to note, though, that I TiVo uses the TiVo decode uh, uh, back end also uses the FFmpeg backend and that's that's what it uses to do its work and it also uses M encoder which is the thing that kind of deals with the the TiVo um proprietary stuff if you will so it, it, yeah iTivo uses all of that stuff it's just its own front end to it and oh, does it right. all all in one package yeah you should totally check it out man it's 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 the way to go when, once once I stumbled onto this I thought well okay I'm done with all this other muckety muck this is you know it's just wrapped into one package and it does it all yeah so, look at that but yeah. uh, FFmpeg is is good for just general video conversion uh, absolutely from and to um, I found it yeah invaluable either for yeah making something smaller but still of you know enough quality that people can watch it um, right because you don't have a big pipe and that that's still that's yeah, still a problem. Oh yeah, that's your uploads. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so John, you uh, you went to a couple of shows this week, and uh, and maybe you can tell us uh, tell us all about it there, John. So uh, two shows uh, I went to during the week: um, Showstoppers and Holiday Spectacular. So I saw that these are holiday shows. I know. Don't roll your eyes, saying, "Oh my gosh, it's not even you know." <laughs> Whenever October, yeah, this is the point is to kind of see, you know, get, get an up close look here. So uh, they're different events. Showstopper is a little smaller, more intimate. You can, you know, usually get more FaceTime and uh, Holiday Spectacular is, is kind of tough to cover. Um, you know, it's a bit larger. Uh, so anyways, and both of them have, you know, fine food and drink and, and lots of giveaways. So here are the things that caught my eye is, is, is cool stuff. And I'm just going to go through them. Show, so at uh, Showstoppers, uh, Escort has something nice. Um, it's a personal gps tracker for your vehicle or i guess anything really but i think the intent is a vehicle and they have a combined with a web service so there's no uh, you know dependency on on any platform um one of them uh, they go for about 350 to 400 bucks one of them has a little uh, key fob which i guess you can use to activate and deactivate it but you can do everything on the web and actually you can also uh, pay a third party i didn't get all the details yet we'll, we'll link to it but uh, uh to actually look and notice if your vehicle is doing something unusual like leaving you know from work when it when 
you're still there or something like that. And it'll text you. It'll call you stuff like that. Um, I offered that you could, you know, plant it on your kid or whatever, but you know, that's, that's kind of unlikely because they, they are a bit large, but you know, covertly hidden in your car. Very cool. So I, I think I may get one of these just for fun. Actually, I wish someone would steal my car so I can get a new one. <laughs> okay. Next Mogo talk, a Bluetooth headset that's integrated into an iPhone case. Kind of neat. One twenty nine ninety nine. I think it charges off the iPhone, or if not, it will be doing that soon. So that that I thought was cool. Uh, Kingston showed a Data Traveler Vault privacy uh, sixteen gig thumb drive. So they're they're getting larger. Wow. Uh, it's about three hundred bucks. And I did find online uh, a thirty two gig version of that drive, and that that'll set you back a thousand bucks. Wow. So <laughs> people are making them. They're getting bigger. 16 gigs. I, I don't think I have a 16 gig one. I think. I no, have, that's you know, big. A couple of gigs. Yeah. So that's nice. And it also has, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the privacy. So that's kind of cool. Uh, Holiday Spectacular. Uh, they, they had some things. Griffin recently introduced something called My Phones. It's uh, uh, headphones for, for the wee ones. Um, one nice thing is it has a volume limiting thing. It limits it to 85 dB so they don't blast out their little eardrums. Yeah. I still get to say, man, some... Some people I see in public, if I can hear your music and you got earphones, you're going to go deaf, dude. Well, I, I will. I will qualify. Unless you that have statement. poorly. Uh, in it, most cases, if I can hear it from, you know, a relatively short distance, uh, I don't know. If they're earbuds, no question about it. If, yes, know, earbuds, hear, if they're headphones. OK, it, it depends on the on the style of headphone, because some are built as open air headphones. And so sound will get in, but also, of course, get out. And it, it those bleed, obviously, right. a lot more than uh, than you'd get from from, you know, a sealed yeah. system. But yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Yeah. yeah. To me, it's people that have things that are just in their ear, not over their ear. Correct. So, yeah, I think we're making a difference here. Yeah. But these are nice They're um, And they also have shells that, uh, you know, with different, you know, interesting patterns. And I guess they have a blank one where the kids can color in their own. And that's kind of neat in there. Uh, I think 40 bucks. Huh. Cool. Um, oh, what is this? Oh, okay. This is cool, man. I got to get one of these, a uh, V holder. So it's capital V small hold R 1200 contour HD camera. What is it? It's an HD camera that you put on your helmet or on oh. your head somehow. And it's 300 bucks. It does HD quality video, uh, 720, I think. But that's HD technically. It has a micro SD memory card. I think it can run up to eight hours. Huh. Okay. Or you can fit eight hours. uh, And and I guess it has a battery in it. Uh, And it outputs a movie in quick time format. But the cool part, you know, I've never seen something quite like this before. But yeah, you literally, you know, either they have, I guess, special headgear or if you have a bike helmet or something like that. But they were showing people doing. Uh, rollerblading and skating and uh, uh, riding a bicycle, you know, motorcycles, uh, you know, sky gliding. It's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. And and so the camera, because uh, I'm looking at a picture of it here on, on the vholdr.com website. And yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's a tiny little, it's like a, it's a barrel size camera. It's sort of like the original eyesight, right? It looks yes. to be about that size. Very similar size. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's got its own memory. I mean, it's all self-contained, right? It, 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 it takes, can record video internally and that's that. Yes. It takes a micro SD card, which okay. you've seen this. Yep. Yep. So tiny little I thing. Yeah. Yeah. They only go up to maybe, uh, I, f- I forget the maximum size right okay. now. Okay. Oh, that's um, pretty cool. That's the only limiting thing is that those are very small memory cards. They haven't been a lot of cell phones, but uh, again, I, I forget. But uh, look at it. I mean, it's cool, man. I it mean, looks you cool. Know, imagine if, yeah. you know, you, you're riding the horse, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Cool. Dude, that would be so cool. I, I could mount this on my drums. I've always told people, you know, it's a very different view from from stage. Uh, than than well, it yeah, is in the crowd. spotlights, right? <laughs> well, and you just no, you know, it's interesting. People. I, and and I, I think this is sort of a universal thing. People see the stage as though it's almost like they're watching TV, right? They don't realize it doesn't dawn on them that the people on stage can see you, you know, so people get a whole lot freer when they're mm. facing the stage versus, you know, if they're, if they were to turn around, I, I think they would act a whole lot differently than, than, you know, they think that there's this, this thing and it's a wall that, that you just can't see. So I, w- without getting too deep into it over the last, you know, 20 years of playing gigs or whatever, I've seen some very interesting things happen uh, in the crowd 
that, that I've, that I've been able to see from on stage. And maybe actually it, now that I say this, it's probably better that I haven't had a camera to share these moments with anyone. So we'll just leave it at that. I guess I, I'd say the other reason is because they're tanked, but. Oh, that helps. Oh yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> helps certainly. But even still, I think there's, there's some, it's, it's interesting people, you know, it, 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 it's as though the band isn't paying attention and sometimes you're not, but, but sometimes you are. So right. it, that's cool. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, couple more things. Uh, yeah. going to wrap it up here. Uh, one or two more things. Oh, hold on. I got to find this here. Uh, there we go. So 3M updated one of their products. Uh, at the last show I went to, they had a small projector about the size of a deck of cards, uh, but they had a shroud over it and it wasn't very bright. Well, they introduced an updated version of it. And actually now that they've improved the LED technology, uh, they didn't have a shroud or like a dark room you walked into to see it. It, w- it was operating in a place that had the, you know, kind of harsh lights, uh, at the top there. So um, I don't have a price immediately, but it's the 3M Pro 120. I think it was three something. And actually you could probably, you know, 3M Pro 120. Let's look here and see if we can find someone. Uh, M Pro 120. Yep. Yep. Yeah. M Pro 120. Let's see. Yeah. You talked about this last time. Yeah. Yeah. But it was only the hundred. So it was dimmer. Uh, uh, this one just, okay. you know, has... It's just gotten better. Sure. Uh, so I think it's more viable because a, a lot of the early portable projectors, uh, you know, we saw another one too that used lasers and I'm not sure where they're at right now, but uh, yeah, sometimes these things, uh, again, I, uh, current projectors, man, I mean, they're a pain in the neck to use a lot of times. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they get very crazy. hot. And if, if the, if the fan goes off, it, your bulb is toast, right? They get extremely hot. These things, uh, I, I don't think have that problem, but they're you know not using you know, blindingly bright lights. Anyways, um, uh, cool. Fujifilm introduced an instant camera. <laughs> kind of interesting. Remember like Polaroid? Yeah. I the, oh, and really? I asked them and they're not using any of the IP is, uh, but they're, it's the same model. The camera looked like a fairly decent camera. Um, 50 bucks for the camera. And the, so it's, you know, it's the razor and the blades deal. So the camera's yeah. 50 bucks. It's, it's a fairly decent camera. You know, you'll see a picture of it. They took some pictures. I think the upload quality was good. Um, and it's about, I, I looked online and a, a pack that has 20 pictures in it is about 16 bucks. So, uh, so that's, yeah, like you said, the razor and the blade. There you go. Yep. If you want instant gratification and something to hold on to, then I think it's great. Um, but, you know, I never personally really got into the, the film thing just because I didn't want to, you know, waste a whole, yeah. <laughs> waste a lot of resources experimenting or learning how to use the camera. Yeah. So, uh, but, but this thing I think does, uh, for, for what it is, uh, uh I that's think cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. And that was those two shows. I'll, I'll dig through my notes and stuff. I'm, I'm getting a few gimmies, uh, you know, as, as okay. all these shows are about, sure. Um, some headsets and some other toys. So I think we're all gonna, you know, as, as different holidays approach, you know, have suggestions on a cool, on what you may want. So um, I think that's it. That'll do it, huh? Oh, All right. Man, oh, yeah, they're, they're kind of chilly out there. Yeah, it's not too bad. Tonight it's actually a little warmer. We have, we've had fires in the fireplace the last uh, last couple of nights. Not that we've needed them, but, you know, we we like to have fires, so it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's fun. Uh, all right. Uh, the one thing we haven't gone through is contact info. How do you reach us? And I'll tell you how. You can call in on the phone, 206-666-GEEK-4335, right? Is that right, John? 4335, right? Last I checked. All right. And uh, and you can email us. And, John, the email address is? Well, I'd probably try feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Now, remember, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Not back feed, and certainly not back feet, but feedback. At Backbeat Media. No, feedback oh. at MacGeekGab.com. Can you tell I've had a crazy day? See, Fe- that's why I keep saying it. You have to keep saying it. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Well, right. you're busy enough growing that, that whole empire there. You're, you're just adding sites here. right and left. My goodness, I can't keep track anymore. You, you uh, know, I, actually, and I can I can say it here. Um, the, the deal was signed Friday, and, and we'll issue a press release this week. But we've added three sites lately to Backbeat Media. We added I Use This, uh, which uh, you knew about, and that that's actually very exciting to have them on board. Uh, they're a great site. We've talked about it on this show before, even. Uh, they're an awesome platform, and yeah. yeah, and they have you know associated software, of course, which. Uh, 
Yeah, it's like you have a community of people and everybody keeps everybody up to date as to the latest version. It's, exactly. It's really nice. And we expanded our, our iPhone niche by adding iPhone in Canada.ca, which actually has quite a quite a large number of U.S. Uh, readers as well. And uh, and that's a uh, that's a they, they do a great job over there and they've kind of got their own little niche. So it's it's a really nice, nice addition to our, our and a nice compliment to that that uh, that side of our our family of sites. And then just on Friday and, and we'll start working with them this week. Believe it or not, we added MacWorldExpo.com, and so uh, Backbeat Media will be uh, will be selling wow. the, the web space there for uh, for this season, and we're, we're we're really excited about that. We're looking forward to to seeing where that can go. Um, it's a should be it should be an interesting, very interesting site to uh, to represent, and and I look forward to seeing how people respond to it. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's coming up. But there's a uh, yeah. well, what else? What else? Uh, uh, Skype. Skype. You right? can Skype us. That's right. Now that we're back on track here, Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and I tested it today. It works. Uh, I, I try to test that every now and again. But uh, if you try it and you have a problem, email us and let us know. But uh, it should work. Skype to Mac mm-hmm. Geek Gab, and you can always leave us iTunes comments and. Uh, that's that. Now, John, you and I are going to be at Blog World Expo next uh, next month, just uh, like three weeks away, or maybe even less than three weeks away, out in we Vegas. Are. Yep. Uh, tonight, unfortunately, ends the uh, the early bird oh, rates, but uh, you can. So you've got uh, a couple more hours, maybe five hours, if if if, if they let you go till Pacific time uh, from right now. But yeah, this show's not going to be out for another thirty minutes, so you've got four and a half hours, and if you just listen to the show now you only have three and a half hours so chances are right that's right but uh either way whether you get in before the early bird expires or after uh, observer vip in all caps will get you 20 percent off whatever ticket uh you're buying so and that's october 15th through 17th out in las vegas iPhonealley.com, another site that's a, a proud member of the Backbeat Media uh, uh, family of sites. Uh, Michael Johnston, he converts this show to AAC for you, and he runs iPhone Alley and their podcast over there. And we've been we've been ecstatic to to be working with him basically since the day he started his site. So that that's been that's been a, a key factor in our iPhone representation there. I remember uh, when he was a weed podcaster. <laughs> Cashfly, Michael's doing a great job with everything he's doing. Uh, Cashfly hosting at cashfly.com and cashfly.net provides all the bandwidth for us. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo 2 from Barebones Software, Text Expander and Text Expander Touch from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Pathfinder 5 from Cocotech. Again, all through that other piece of the empire, as you like to call it, John, the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And that's it. That's time to go. We get to watch uh, fall TV. I think uh, House is on tonight. Or it oh, no, no, already, no. Just... Here, heroes. Oh, yeah. I gotta, I, we still haven't gotten into that. And show. last week, this, this show still weirds me out. Fringe. Oh, that's a great show. The, the first... Every five, first five minutes of that is... What the... Have fun. We'll see you next week. And don't get caught. made up.